We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. He went what? 11th. Cam in the draft. 11. Yep. It's right on the screen right there. Wow. Wow. Wow, bro. That's crazy. That's so love, bro. Because y'all, if y'all know Cam, you don't know how hard Cam worked. And you know, it's a lot of people that doubt him. But wow, I'm just, bro, it's such a, that's crazy, bro. Wow, that's so crazy. I'm so happy for him right now. Y'all don't understand how happy I am for Cam because he, like, he proved it night in, night out that he deserves to be, you know, in the conversation for a lottery pick, man. He shot the ball like anyone I've never seen before in my life or played with. So I'm so – wow, bro. That's – I'm getting chills up here. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. It is the last week before free agency. My name is Mike Vihill, the host of this podcast. And of course, joining me is Sam Cooper. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, Mike. Uh, I've calmed down since the draft. I'm ready to go. (laughs) You're not angry anymore. No, you know, I mean, I I think the Suns, I've always said this, I think the Suns improved uh, with their moves during the draft. Uh, I thought they could have done better, but you know, got to take what you're given. Uh, and just analyze it to the best of your ability, and we're going to do that with these free agents today. It's optimism season. That's It's optimism season for Suns fans, for NBA fans, for me. This is always the week of the year that I think that I'm the most optimistic. You know, Cam Johnson becomes uh, Clay Thompson in my mind. Ty Jerome is essentially, I don't know, Steve somewhere Nash. between... Steve Nash and Steph Curry, <laughs> uh, somewhere between those two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you, look in the, if you look in the YouTube comments section of the video we just posted on Ty Jerome, 
the American Steve Nash. I was almost surprised you didn't throw it in the <laughs> thumbnail itself to get 50,000 views. <laughs> I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare. I do. I don't think I don't think it's that hot of a take to say that he's maybe potentially the best passer on the team right away because of how bad this team is at passing. I do give credit for Devin Booker improving his passing. And of course, we had that uh, that sort of streak in the middle of the year where Mikhail Bridges just became uh an, an excellent nicholas batum essentially for a few weeks and i don't know if that'll continue but um we just the, the suns are one of the worst passing teams in the nba so it's nice to add some some guys that are actually good at that and for those of you who don't know who what we're talking about right now we just released a video on youtube about ty jerome saying is he the best passer on the Phoenix Suns? It's not really the purpose of the video. It's just that YouTube, you kind of need a title like that to get people to watch it. But what I will say is it's a breakdown of what makes Ty Jerome good at passing and what it takes to be a good passer in general. And I thought Ty Jerome was a good player to actually talk about that. We'll see if he's good, but we should actually talk about that. It's been a, a few days. Well, it's been about a week since the draft happened. It was a dramatic draft. It, like I said at the time, very confusing to follow. Um, so many players wearing the wrong hats for teams that they're not actually going to play for. But, I mean, it shook out. We know what the Suns are doing now. We've had more of a chance to watch film of these guys, watch interviews of them talking. How do you feel? Let's break down each one. Let's start with Cameron Johnson. Still a reach, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Still a reach. I. But how do you feel about him now, just sort of understanding his place on the Suns and a little more about him and, and his play style? Well, okay, look, so because these guys were traded uh, and some of these trades don't officially go into effect for a little while longer, we haven't seen any press conferences. So I think with Cam Johnson, that's still the big question is how does he fit on the Suns? Uh, you, you guys are going to hear us talk about a lot of free agents today. And if we pick up some of these free agents, Cam Johnson's going to be a third stringer. Uh, so 11th overall pick third string rookie especially when he's 23 years old and is a little bit more nba ready that's maybe the biggest question um but his skill set speaks for itself you know the injury concerns are there but he's going to shoot the lights out and again that was the big strategy for the suns on draft night they dramatically improved their shooting uh, across the board at four different positions i think they focused on shooting and also brains they wanted to get smart guys who play winning style basketball regardless of upside consideration now not to say that these guys don't have a super super high upside who knows cameron johnson could really improve in the nba and could be could become somewhat of a serviceable serviceable defender i wouldn't expect him to be like an excellent defender but i think he could become a serviceable defender and a 6'9 guy who could shoot 45 percent from three being a serviceable defender in the nba becomes a very valuable player it's just there's no real superstar or all-star upside to him unless that shooting is just absolutely insane. And I think Ty Jerome is a similar guy where maybe he doesn't have a super high upside, but what he does do is play really smart basketball and he shoots really well. Not a lot of turnovers for either of these guys. I mean, I'm not sure Cameron Johnson can dribble. I'm not sure he even <laughs> needs to dribble in the NBA with that skill set. He can get the shot off 6'9". And he shoots in like half a second. If he can get the shot off that quickly, who needs to dribble? We've seen Clay Thompson score 40 points with taking like three dribbles. Um, so that's something that you can expect out of Cameron Johnson. But Ty Jerome is another smart guy. He can do a lot of things. He's, he's you know, probably not a star. Definitely not a star. Let's say that. But a serviceable NBA player on a team that doesn't have a lot of those. And it's almost guaranteed that he's going to be like, okay, he's probably not going to be a bad NBA player overall. Well, that's how I feel, at least. What do you think about Ty Jerome? 
I think I agree with you. He's not going to be an awful um, NBA player. We just have to see if he can finish at the NBA level. Here's the thing about Ty Jerome. When we were reacting to the draft, we were reacting instantly. And before the Suns had made a couple of moves, at the time that we were recording, it was during the second round. And then the Suns instantly made a couple of moves after the second round. I know this isn't about Ty Jerome specifically, but it comes into play because the Suns added two more prospects. They signed undrafted rookie Jalen LeCue to a four-year deal with two years guaranteed. And they also brought in yet another point guard prospect, Jared Harper, uh, to play with their summer league team. So at least going into summer league, the Suns are going to have five point guard prospects in Elliot Kobo, uh, DeAnthony Melton, LeCue, Harper, and Ty Jerome. And what I think is interesting about that situation specifically, you said that you thought the Suns were drafting for brains. When it comes to the point guard position, these are five ridiculously different prospects with ridiculously yeah. different skill sets. It almost feels like James Jones uh, and company are throwing darts at a wall and just they're seeing what's going to stick. Like these are five guys yeah. with five different skill sets that we can break down. And just hopefully one of them is going to become an NBA rotation player. Yeah. Speaking of optimism season, we've been calling uh, Suns fans have been calling Jalen LeCue baby Westbrook <laughs> on the internet. This is an undrafted point guard, young, actually the youngest player drafted. I think it's interesting because when we were talking about the draft initially as well, we talked about how Cameron Johnson is one of the old, I think he was the oldest guy drafted and Ty Jerome was 21, not a young draft pick as well. These guys are older. I mean, they're basically on each side of Devin Booker's age, just a little bit older and a little bit younger. And Devin Booker's going into his fifth season. And we talked about how it seemed like James Jones was trying to draft someone that they didn't have to spend a ton of time developing. They already felt like they were a more complete player and could contribute right away. And then he signed Jalen LeCue to four years. This is a four-year deal for Jalen LeCue. And Jalen LeCue is a long-term prospect. This <laughs> yeah. is the type of prospect where you can actually take time to develop. And I actually think this overall is an interesting strategy. What they did is they used the top picks to pick a guy that could contribute immediately, which is nice because those are difficult to get late. Um, sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. You just don't know. Those are the type of guys that go at the end of the first round, which is where Cameron Johnson was slotted to go and where uh, Ty Jerome did go. So it, it's kind of interesting to use the top picks there and then say, well, we still want to take a risk here. We still want to find a guy that could potentially outperform where they're picked. And I think that's what they did with Jalen LeCue. They looked at him and said, this is a guy that could be very... He's insanely athletic. If you haven't looked at this guy's highlights on YouTube, find a mixtape because some of the stuff he does is completely insane. He's a small kid, but he can jump over you and slam on you <laughs> with no problem. And to do that as a point guard is very impressive. And so they looked at him and said, he's insanely athletic. He's very raw. Let's take him late. But then they signed him to a four-year deal. To me, that shows a commitment to attempting to develop a guy without the pressures that come with like Dragon Bender being selected fourth or Marquise Chris being selected eighth. There's a lot less pressure when you're undrafted entirely and you have four years to potentially develop into an NBA player. I think I think it's a really interesting strategy and I'm, and I'm excited to see Jalen LeCue perform at Summer League and see what he's like against NBA competition. He's going to get his ass kicked. He's going to get, no, <laughs> he's, he's going to get, he's going to get destroyed. It's not even that he's super small. He's six, four with shoes. He's got a six, nine wingspan. Um, and, and so, you know, just so other people know exactly what we're talking about with this athleticism, he had the highest max vert of anyone who participated in the NBA draft combine last month, 43 inches for a point guard. That's absurd. 
but he was a high school player. You know, he rejected this offer uh, to go to NC State and play in college, and he was NBA draft eligible. Uh, so I don't know, similar to another prospect like Darius Basley, guys who are going straight from high school to the NBA, especially in this era where everyone else has played at least a year of disciplined college ball. He's going to get his ass kicked. He needs to spend at least one year in the G League, quite possibly more. Uh, and we'll see what we yep. have with him then. But it's but again, it's just sort of opposite of what we did with Ty Jerome. Long term project, not necessarily um, the IQ, broken ass jumper, uh, completely broken <laughs> jumper, but a great finisher, a guy who looks like he can make good reads um, out in transition and some good NBA level passes. Uh, so who knows? Maybe we have something there. Yeah, I, you know, and if we don't, it's we didn't waste anything on him. That's the nice thing about taking a guy uh, like this really late is it's just that you don't use a draft pick on him. You you get him for cheap. You you he uses a roster spot. Now that is that is partially what happened here. You need to carry twelve men uh, without getting fined for for the Suns. So he was a twelfth guy signed, and he's on the roster technically. It's not a two way deal from what I can tell. There's always more information that comes out about all of this later. Um, but he's taking up a roster spot for now, and that's going to be a real interesting uh, player to see develop over time. And we have time to see it happen. It's also a guy that could be used in trades later. Of course, this is you know, kind of how it works. You take prospects like that, and if you have to throw them in, you can. Um, and of course, if we trade him, he'll become an excellent player and probably fix his <laughs> jump shot at some point. <laughs> well, that's what I'm waiting forward to, Anthony Melton, is the inevitable trade, yeah. and then he becomes a 40% three-point shooter. Um, quickly on Jared Harper. Do you want to mention Jared Harper? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it even worth it? Yeah, no, let's talk about him. I mean, he, Summer League's coming up. P- people are going to be there. Yeah, it's just we've got so many point guards potentially on this roster of Melton and a Kobo play. How are they going to get all these guys' time? Uh, Jared Harper yeah. played for Auburn, so obviously he was he was pretty deep into the tournament. Um, Tyler Ulis sized at 5'11 with shoes, but not Tyler Ulis length with a 6'5 inch wingspan. Uh, and generally, this is a guy who... Couldn't really finish plays even on the college level, had really poor finishing numbers and two-point percentages throughout his time in Auburn, but just did everything pretty solid. Uh, was a good three-point shooter, and again, similar to LeCue, great athleticism. He had a 40.5-inch uh, max vert, which ranked to the 86th percentile of guys at the Combine. His lane agility time of 10.7 seconds was in the 73rd percentile. As I mentioned, you know he's not tall. Um, but he has a, a plus wingspan, so there's athleticism, good measurables there as well. My favorite fun fact about Jared Harper, I don't really understand why they do the um, bench press at the combine, like what it's supposed to demonstrate. But I do like, <laughs> I like that they do it because it's 185 pounds. Jared Harper, a guy who is 165 pounds, did more reps of the bench press than uh, Pelican center Jackson Hayes at the draft combine. Wow. So that's like deceptive strength right there from him. Uh, but again, this is just a summer league deal. As far as I know, this is not like an official deal with the Suns to extend beyond that. So uh, we'll see if they have a gem in his summer league play, but otherwise kind of hard to see them holding on to him long term. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt it. It's just, you talked about it. There's too many point guards on this roster as is, and uh, there's not a lot of minutes to go around, and we're probably going to talk about multiple point guards later on in this podcast when you and I break down our five uh, top five potential free agents for the Phoenix Suns, which was actually really hard for me to come up with. Now, uh, there were a couple other players added to the roster, Dario Saric and Aaron Baines. Do you have any thoughts on either of those guys now that we're a week later? Uh, nothing, nothing has changed, I don't think, in my opinion. Yeah. So, sometimes I wonder... So. The interesting thing about the Suns right now, and we didn't talk too much about this, there's only one, technically there's only one power forward on the roster right now. 
uh, that can really play power forward, and that's Dario Saric. And I think what is interesting about Aaron Baines and Dario Saric joining this team, we're assuming Aaron Baines is going to stay on the team. Dario Saric is, of course, staying on the team. That's what we use that number six pick for. It really clarified, I think, what we're going to have to look at in free agency. And and sometimes I wonder if Dario Saric could have been brought on to play that backup power forward position. Mm-hmm. Is it guaranteed that he was brought on to start? Or um, is Dario Saric more of a backup power forward in general? I, you know, like I said, I didn't watch him a ton in Minnesota. I was a big fan in Philadelphia and I was a fan of his potential. It's just, you know, sometimes I wonder if, if we're reading too much into that as a starting power forward right now. I mean, he's the only one on the roster, so I don't blame us for doing that, but I wonder. Totally. I'm glad you brought that up because something that I shouldn't even say it worried me, but something that made me think this week was Dario came out with these comments about how, uh, basically how happy he was to be playing in Phoenix and was kind of saying, I don't have the exact quote on hand, but was kind of throwing shade at Minnesota saying he didn't feel that he was being used right there. I agree with what you just brought up completely. I don't think it's a guarantee that Dario is, uh, especially in a team that, as currently constructed, is so bad defensively. It shouldn't be a given uh, that he's going to be a starting caliber player. It's great that he can shoot. It's great that he's got a little bit of creation. It's great that he's a young player who potentially could be a long-term asset for us and continue to get a little bit better. Uh, But no, there are still starting caliber power forwards out there that are better than Dario Saric that I'm very interested in looking at with the money we have for free agency. It shouldn't be a given that uh, he's given that spot. And so if that's really the way he feels... Uh, you may be risk alienating him a little bit, but this is the last year of his contract anyway. Well, he was he did mention that he's a fan of Monty Williams, though, and that, I think that's nice. If you if you have a coach you've worked with before, someone that you're familiar with, if you have to come off the bench, if it's something that makes sense with this situation, then it's easier when you have a coach that you already get along with. What's going to be a hard sell is selling it to him in his contract year because he's going to be a free agent after this year. He, he deserves minutes um, because he's a good player. But when you're in your contract year, you want those starter minutes. You want to play as much as possible to try and boost uh, the amount you're going to get paid. The good news for Dario is the 2020 free agency class is kind of grim. <laughs> so I think he'll do okay if there's teams with uh, cap space. I assume the Knicks will have at least 40 million space next year. <laughs> So <laughs> once they'll they strike do okay. out on all their free agents this year. Out. Yes. Exactly. And sign Serge exactly. Ibaka to a $40 million contract next year with all that money. <laughs> God, the tw- if in case you guys don't know, the 2020 free agency class is garbage, which is kind of yeah. why it's important for the Suns to, you know, maximize the assets they have right now. Uh, because yeah. the if, Suns and everyone else. And everyone else. If you miss out on the point guard you want this time around, the best point guard next summer is Kyle Lowry. If you can't get Kyle Lowry... I think it's Fred Van Vliet. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, you know, and it's not to say that Fred Van Vliet is not a good player. Of course, he's a good player. We just saw how he did in he the finals. He shot 90% just... in the finals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, two more things on all that transpired last week. Um, how dare you, everyone who turned on Rashawn Holmes? <laughs> oh, wow. You're going to bring it up. I just got to say that. It's not. Here's the thing. Aaron Baines is fine. Aaron Baines is potentially good, but Rashawn Holmes was good. Rashawn Holmes was insanely effective as um, a pick-and-roll player, one of the most efficient players. I think he may have been the most efficient player on our team. Yes, all he does is catch lobs, but he also finishes through contact, and he actually did take a few dribbles and uh, create for himself a little bit, and he improved (laughs) at all of those things as the season went on. He was also 
a much improved defender from the previous year, and a young player at 25 years old, a, p- a player that could potentially improve. Remember, defense takes the longest to be good at, especially in the position that he plays. It takes time to be a great defender. Yeah, he's probably not as good of a defender as Baines is right now, but two years from now, are we sure that Baines is going to be a better defender than Rashawn Holmes, and is it worth it to lock a guy down with such a small cap hold on the Suns? Uh, you can sign him over the cap relatively easily and keep him for a long period of time. I'm excited about Baines. I don't want this to sound like I am trashing Baines here, but I think it's possible to say that Baines is going to be good on the Suns and probably a good defender and potentially a good three-point shooter, uh, good in the backup role, without saying that he is definitively better than Rashawn Holmes. I think, at the very least, going forward, it's debatable at the least. Yeah. You had a lot to say about that on Twitter. I don't know if you want to comment about it here. I mean, you echoed my sentiments. It's I wouldn't wasn't defensive with anything that I said on Twitter. I'm just pretty confident in the opinion that look, with Aaron Baines, he's 32 years old. My worry is that the Suns are a 25 to 30 win team next year. Halfway through the season, Aaron Baines is either bought out or traded for a protected second round pick to a contending team that he actually wants to play for. And we gave up a 25-year-old center who just had a breakout season. I mean, that's that's really all it is. Yeah. Is uh, If Rashawn Holmes was interested in staying in Phoenix, and we have no confirmation that he was, uh, I, I was just really impressed with his play last year. I mean, he had a 66% true shooting on a team with no point guards. DeAndre Ayton does that, and we're falling over ourselves to compliment how polished his offensive game is. Yeah. So, you know, I think Holmes deserves some credit, and I'm worried about Baines' ability to uh, finish plays off offensively uh we'll see how that mentoring comes out uh on the defensive side of things i do think he can potentially be a good mentor on the defensive side of the ball for deandre ayton yeah but that's really all i have to say about it i mean if we buy him out at least we'll have extra cap space in that sweet 2020 free agency class (laughs) (laughs) yeah and the last thing i want to say about last week is just to recap how much of a disaster it was to not trade tj warren and josh jackson when it, before the trade deadline last season, because I think that it was very difficult to get rid of um, TJ Warren. Now, it, everyone values cap space so much when the season ends, especially when half the league is a free agent this summer. So it's very difficult to, we had to attach an asset to TJ Warren. Would it have been easier to convince a team that maybe was competing for the playoffs to give up a pick and maybe an expiring contract for TJ Warren, and then he could have potentially played on the team, assuming he was actually healthy, which is a lot of people think he could have played at the end of the year and he was held out, or he held himself out, possibly. And the other part is Josh Jackson. It's it's impossible to trade Josh Jackson at this point because every team values uh, values their cap space at this point. It's not to say that it's guaranteed that he would be traded before the trade deadline. It just seems like it would have been a smarter time to do it at that point. Mind you, he doesn't start playing very well until after that, so it probably would have been more difficult for that reason. But teams, I think, would have been more... Uh, they would have liked a chance to decide whether or not they want to pick up Josh Jackson's option by seeing him on a team that wasn't the Phoenix Suns, they don't really have a chance to do that now because they have to just decide basically before the end of October. Yeah, it's tough. I guess you could just say that some management styles are more liberal and some are more conservative. And the Suns, at least as far as we've seen them for the past year or so, have been more conservative. Uh, you know, sometimes you take that stance and you wait it out with a prospect uh, and you refuse to give up on them after a couple of years and it really does work out. And they turn things around, and who knows? Maybe Josh Jackson, if the Suns keep him around, could even bounce back and have a great year. It does feel like his stock is at an all-time low. Um, But in this case, it seems like the Suns maybe didn't play their cards right, waited a little bit too long. 
uh, and how it's going to be tough. I definitely, we should talk about the maneuvers that the Suns have, uh, the, the different cards that they could potentially play to increase their cap space, because I definitely want the Suns to have more cap space on June 30th than they have right now. Yeah, I mean, this is a free agency podcast after all. This is our free agency preview special. So we should talk about that. So the best way to enter into this conversation is to talk about the cap. Now, we're not going to go super deep into the cap here. I think a lot of Suns fans already have a general understanding of it, partially because everyone's been talking about it for three months now. Um, If you listen to this podcast, Sam and I have been talking about it since basically the end of the season. So you have a few weeks of us, a few months of us talking about it at this point. But we do want to break down um, some of the machinations, some of the maneuvering the Suns can do. Actually, Sam, why don't you start? You seem to have a better grip on it than I do. Okay, so first of all, we're not going to go super in-depth here. Let's be honest, Mike. Uh, We share a lot of listeners with seven seconds or less. I'm pretty confident in that. So they just released a great episode, Um, David Ash, Max McCauley. They, on their Nerdcast, as they call it, um, really explains some of the underlying rules behind it. So if you haven't listened to that already, feel free to go listen to it for um, some more in-depth explanations. We're really just going to give you the numbers here. So we know that the Suns are going into the summer with about $13.5 million in cap space. Um, there's some varying figures on that. I know David Nash from 7 Seconds or Less has it at 13.2. Um, I know Keith Smith has it at uh, 14.1. I'm unsure whether or not he's including newly signed uh, Jalen LeCue into that. But the Suns have about $13.5 million in cap space, and that puts them at 13th on a list of the teams with the top amount of cap space going into this summer. Uh, so <laughs> they are certainly going to be a player. They're a team with a good amount of cap space. They are going to function as an under-the-cap team because it makes much more sense to do so than going uh, into the summer over the cap, in which case you would only have your mid-level exception. But there are quite a few teams ahead of them uh, do, do you want me to read them out, Mike? I, yeah, I don't know. let's hear it. I'm, I'm interested. Okay. All right. So <laughs> we've got number one. So the, the team with the absolute most cap space are the New York Knicks. Seventy and a half million dollars uh, is what they can create to sign some interesting players. Yeah. As a report just came out today. The, the Morris twins. They're, they're, it's perfect. It's just <laughs> so perfect. They have to go there. I can't imagine a better fit between team, fan base, and players than the New York Knicks and both of the Morris Twins playing in New York. It's really just perfect. I mean, you live there, Sam. Uh, What do you think? I only live there for a few more days. Um, (laughs) I think it is perfect. I don't think Knicks fans deserve this. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Knicks fans deserve this, man. they don't. Uh, Frank and Kevin Knox. uh, It's just, just so hard to get excited about anything behind that court except for Mitchell Robinson. Uh, they they really don't deserve that. But can you honestly blame a free agent who would want to go to Brooklyn over New York? <laughs> the idea that the idea that they could sign the Morris twins and Demarcus Cousins is I just you can't even make that. It sounds like fiction. Like it sounds like we literally just made that up just now. They could potentially sign both Morris twins and Demarcus Cousins on the same team. I want to see that. I really want. That- I, I want a reality show about that. Is that all of Team Foe? I don't even remember anymore. Do you remember that thing? <laughs> yeah. the, it was the family yeah. over everything, and it was yeah. Morris Twins. Was Cousins involved in that? No, I don't think he was. They had a... Oh, it was oh, Thomas Robinson yes, was in there, right? That's who it was. <laughs> yes. bring him back? Now, yeah, might as well. Doesn't he already... He might already play there for all I know. <laughs> I don't even know. All right. Um, we're getting off track a little bit, but so the Knicks have more cap space than anyone else. But after <laughs> them, you've got Sacramento, Clippers, Brooklyn, 
Indiana, Boston, New Orleans, Dallas, the Lakers, and Chicago. And that's the top 10. Uh, all 10 of those teams have are projected to have above $20 million in cap space. Mm-hmm. And $20 million in cap space is kind of what Phoenix can realistically create. Like the max amount that we can create without going into options such as uh, waving and stretching uh, Tyler Johnson's contract, the final year of his deal, or renouncing the rights to Kelly Oubre. So even if the Suns kind of make those minor maneuvers to get them a little bit more money to go after a little bit of a bigger fish, we have to talk about, are these other 10 teams, how competitive are they going to be for some of the same free agents that maybe we want? And mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in addition to that, we have to talk about if you want to get off Josh Jackson and, uh, well, just Josh Jackson's contract in the first place and not have to potentially wave and stretch him as well, those are the teams you're calling. Right. Are any of these teams willing to take a flyer on Josh Jackson? Sacramento has $63 million in cap space. Are they really convinced yep. that they're going to get two max quality players to, to come there, or are they may be willing to take a gamble on Josh Jackson? I have to say, I kind of want to see him on the Knicks now. <laughs> <laughs> but the Knicks, the Knicks are, they want, I don't even know exactly who they want. Look, plan A is Kevin Durant, yeah. Kyrie. He's not right. going to go there. No. Plan B is going to be Kemba. Right. The plan C is going to be Tobias Harris. Plan F is going to be the Morris twins. There's a whole list of guys uh, who are going to be up there before they even consider. And it goes back to exactly what you were talking about. It's so much easier to convince teams uh, before free agency to take players and absorb them into space. But on June 30th, everyone thinks they're the prettiest girl in school. Yeah, I I do. I have heard that the Knicks are thinking about just punting on this year's free agency and trying to retain cap space for next year. And Josh Jackson is actually a good option for that. He eats up a roster spot. He's a young potential player who could actually perform well, and maybe they keep him on their roster next year. But you can also decline that year and uh, and open up more cap space next year. So I actually think the Knicks aren't completely out of the question there. And uh, as we've seen, based on those rumors, they're not afraid of guys who have had attitude problems, we'll say, <laughs> like Josh Jackson. So um, it's just very hard. It, Josh Jackson, of course, uh, tanks his entire trade value in the time that we want him to be moved. I, I I find it hard to believe that he would even want to be here, to be honest, at this point, because I think if anything has happened this season, or this offseason, I should say, we've made it very clear that we're trying to move Josh Jackson. That's, that's like an absolute guarantee here. So I could see him actually wanting to leave too. So, you know, like you said, there's, there's a few ways to, to create some cap space. D'Angelo Russell is, of course, the player that we talk about. His uh, his contract starts at about his max deal starts at about twenty seven ish, twenty eight ish yep. million. You can get there uh, potentially if you renounce Ubre alone. You get to about twenty two point eight million. If you renounce Ubre and get rid of Josh Jackson somehow, uh, you could create enough space to offer D'Lo his max, and then you don't really have a lot of space to move around after that. Um, you potentially would have to use what's called a room mid level or some sort of over the cap deals to to get a player after that. If you want to try and fill another power forward uh, spot here because we only have one like we talked about earlier. So it's difficult and the machinations are difficult in this, but there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, something about Kelly Oubre to, to remember uh, with Kelly Oubre, we do own his matching rights. We also own his bird rights. So a couple, um, just to define that for people who don't understand that the matching rights are simple. Restricted free agents are allowed to go out onto the market and get an offer from a team. And then of course the team that owns their rights are allowed to match that and keep it. They have three days after they're given an offer um, the other thing is the bird rights. The bird rights allow us to go over the cap to sign him after his 
Cap hold is cap hold is about $9 million. So we're able to go over the cap, anything over $9 million that Kelly Oubre gets paid. Hopefully not a lot over $9 million, but we talked about all the teams that have cap space. You could see these guys offering something for him pretty easily. Um, so I can't imagine he's going to get anything close to his cap hold. It's probably going to be $15 million. I'm going to say that as the least potentially for Kelly Oubre, but we don't really know. So we'll see. Any other thoughts on the cap? Uh, no, that's about, well, I guess the one other thing I'll say is that, yeah, um, uh, it's good that you brought up the room mid level. Uh, so the Suns can create, I mean, look, if the Suns do a bunch of things, I think most Suns fans listening probably want to keep Kelly Oubre, right? So a realistic best case scenario for the amount of cap space you can create. If you've got about 13 and a half right now, waving and stretching Tyler Johnson saves you about 12. Maybe in the best case scenario, you get someone to actually take Josh Jackson and attach either DeAnthony Melton or Elliot Kobo. That saves you another eight. Uh, what are we looking at with a quick math there? That's like 33 million if you really want to mm-hmm. uh, create that much. But so the Suns can create that much money. They can spend it all on one player and still have the money to go over the cap, re-sign Kelly Oubre, as you said, to use the room mid-level exception, which is for teams that opt to go uh, into free agency uh, under the cap, and that is worth $4.8 million. So that is worthwhile money. It's not pennies. It's not a veteran minimum type contract. You can get a decent role player with that money. They also have the biannual exception available to them, which is specifically designed for teams that are over the cap but under the luxury tax apron. And is worth $3.6 million. And the only other rule there is that you can only use it once every two years. Right. So, for instance, all the teams under the cap, all the teams in the uh, luxury tax, and also the Bucks, Pelicans, Knicks, and Spurs specifically do not have that option available to them, those four teams, because they used theirs last year and you only use it once every two years. Right. But that's an additional $3.6 million. So that's a way for the Suns to fill out their bench with potentially two okay role players uh, once all this stuff kind of clears out, even after they go after their main targets and also try to re-sign Oubre. Yeah, maybe the Morris Twins would be a good fit. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think the Morris Twins are probably looking for a little bit more than that. Maybe if and, we combine uh, the can contracts you just, can you, and then offer it to them as one big contract. <laughs> Dude, can you just imagine them mentoring like Kevin Knox and oh Frank Nielakina? Weirdly, if they didn't have attitude problems, either one of them would be a good fit at power forward for this team. <laughs> but just the basketball side of it, it, unfortunately, the Suns can't afford to have any guys with attitude problems at this point. Another reason why Josh Jackson is likely gone. Um, now th- another thing to remember is uh, in the past, Robert Sarver has gone above the cap. He's never gone into the luxury tax from my knowledge. So it's not to say that he's unwilling to go above the cap. I think he would be willing to go above the cap. We don't know this for sure, obviously. No sources here. And of course, if you ask him, he'd probably say, yeah, of course I'm willing. But who knows if that's actually true. He has done it before. So there is evidence that he'd be willing to go above. Um, there is, if you go a certain amount above the cap, that's where you get the luxury tax. That's where it costs a lot more and that money doesn't go to players. It goes to the rest of the teams in the NBA. I can't imagine he'd be willing to do that on a team that won 19 games. Maybe if we're a little closer to winning a championship and the team is a little more profitable, I could see that happening. But um, we will operate under the assumption, at least I will, that it's possible to go above the cap here um, when we break down our, our our players that we're thinking about in free agency. Any other for thoughts, sure. Sam? Nope, that, that for sure. We're assuming that. We're going to go over the cap. That's the cap. That's the cap. We understand it. We're pros. We're experts. We're basically Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue. Not at, this at all. <laughs> Not even close. No. We learn new things every day. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to break down our top five 
free agents for the Phoenix Suns, including, of course, some honorary mentions. We'll be right back. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with lubricating strip and trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all of that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who've tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash bluewire to redeem your razor for $3. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show that 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, type genuine medication that can be delivered in a discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get it checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with a doctor. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. This is Tom Leander, and you're listening to the Timeline Podcast with Mike and Sam. He elevates and detonates. All right, Sam, let's break down our top five free agent options, starting with five, going down to one. Of course, we'll do our number five. Throughout this, we'll talk about, actually, let's do it right before number one. Let's let's do our honorary mentions at that point. There are a lot of free agents. We talked about it. It seems like half the league is a free agent this year, which is why there's so much cap space available and out there for um, people to get. So let's alternate five, four, three, two, one. Actually, go ahead and you go first, Sam. Let's start with your number five. All right. My free agent at number five is, I think, going to come into left field for most people because it's not technically at a position of need for the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> I'm going to go with Charlotte Hornets shooting guard Jeremy Lamb. Interesting. And you're probably thinking, what the fuck, Sam? Jeremy <laughs> Lamb is going to cost money. He's not a point guard. He's not a power forward. He averages two assists per game. You'd be correct on all of those things. Uh, first of all, I want to <laughs> I want to give a shout out to I think we shout him out every week now at some point on the pod, Alessandro Cozy on Twitter, because he's the one who really inspired this this morning. I realized that Jeremy Lamb was a free agent a couple of months ago, and then kind of put it out of my mind. And then uh, seeing Ali talk about it on Twitter today really sort of resparked that interest. And I was looking into his game a little bit more. When the Suns made all the moves they did on draft day, I was thinking, uh, or I came away from that night under the assumption that the Suns had addressed their shooting, 
But the main priorities going forward, and you're going to see this as a consistent theme in the rest of my top five, is defense and creativity. Not necessarily just playmaking, but creativity. Guys who can go get a bucket. This is something that I talked about last week when we lost TJ Warren, uh, that I was sad about the fact that De- just Devin Booker and Kelly Oubre alone as perimeter-centric players, it's you can't really rely on that uh, to create an offense. I think too often we're focused on the fact that in this day and age in the NBA, you want to fill your roster with three-point shooters and get as much spacing as possible. But we kind of neglect the other side of the equation, where if you just fill a roster with five guys like, you know, say Aaron Baines is a 35% three-point shooter, he's not going to put it on the floor. If you just put five catch-and-shoot guys with no creativity, with no ability to create dribble-drive penetration, you're not going to get those open looks that you're looking for. And so the reason I like Jeremy Lamb, first of all, for those who don't know, averaged 15 points, five rebounds, two assists per game this season on 55% true shooting. Um, he was benched in the second half of the season for, for a little bit uh, for their rookie Miles Bridges and for Dwayne Bacon as well. But he really just fits a sixth man role. Mike, I'm going to stop for a second because I have a cat that is being really annoying next to me. <laughs> Sorry. I might just leave that in. <laughs> Okay, you can leave it in if you want. She's scratching at a door, so I'm just going to go get that really quickly. (laughs) All right, I'm back. She has this weird thing where she gets, like, offended if there's a closed door that she can't access. All right, uh, where was I? (laughs) I'm not even sure at this point. (laughs) All right, so Jeremy Lamb. I'm really into Jeremy Lamb, guys. 15 points. uh, That's what I was talking about. Okay, Jeremy Lamb is basically like Jamal Crawford, but good. So, like, it pissed me off when Jamal Crawford would pound the ball into the floor, go for these high elbow jumpers consistently last season, right? Because it was inefficient offense. But if you can do it on 55% true shooting, someone in your offense needs to play that role. Close to 50% of Jeremy Lamb's uh, field goals come unassisted. I'm probably going to bring up today a bunch of times synergy play type data. Um, It's publicly available data from Synergy that the NBA tracks and posts on their website uh, where you can look at how players perform in certain play types and what percentile they rank in efficiency. It's something that I cite all the time in my free agent scouting uh, video breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Jeremy Lamb ranked in the 75th percentile in efficiency and transition, the 57th percentile in isolation. He had almost as many isolation possessions as Donovan Mitchell and a better efficiency than Donovan Mitchell. He was the 74th percentile on the pick and roll and the 64th percentile as a catch and shoot spot up guy. That's the other thing. He can catch and shoot. He can spot up. But more importantly, you can give him the ball and have him go get a bucket. And that's something that these other shooters that I'm kind of interested in, but not as interested in uh, on the free agent market, like a Wayne Ellington or a Reggie Bullock, they just can't do the same same thing for your offense off the bench. If you have a Tyler Johnson and Jeremy Lamb bench behind an actual starting caliber point guard and Devin Booker, and then you have basically almost a starting caliber bench backcourt behind your actual starting caliber starting backcourt, if that makes sense. You have four guards with maximum creativity who can create opportunities for other players. And then you still fill out your roster with your catch-and-shoot guys. Dario Saric is a catch-and-shoot guy. Mikhail Bridges is a catch-and-shoot guy. Uh, I'm trying to think of other players on our team right now. Cameron Johnson. Uh, Aaron, Cameron Johnson is a catch-and-shoot guy. Ty Jerome is, to an extent, going to be a camp. We'll see how much his athleticism holds up or or is a detriment to him at the next level. But he might be a catch-and-shoot guy for a little bit. Aaron Baines is a catch-and-shoot guy. Uh, but so, yeah, I just really like the idea of Jeremy Lamb being a creative guard. Uh, you can pair him if you... 
here's the thing. If the Suns go in with $13 million in cap space, I think Jeremy Lamb is going to cost about $10 million, uh, because the Charlotte Hornets are kind of fucked with their cap situation. I think he's probably going to be looking for a three- or four-year deal. Basically, a TJ Warren contract to be your TJ Warren replacement. If the Suns go in with $13 million, I don't want Jeremy Lamb. But if the Suns can trade Josh Jackson and Elia Kobo, or even, you know, if it ends up being a wave and stretch of Tyler Johnson and they go in with enough money to go out, get a starting caliber point guard, your um, your Pat Bev, your Ricky Rubio, your Darren Collison, whoever it may be, and pair that player with yet another good backcourt partner in Jeremy Lamb, I think that could work out really well. Creativity. That's really that's a really interesting pick. Really interesting pick. I think that I assumed over throughout this that we're, we're going to have some overlap um, in our list. And I thought that was fine because we can talk about those players as they overlap. But um, he was not on my list, Sam. <laughs> yeah, he's not, and he's not going to be. OK, and here's the other thing. No defense. Right. Yeah. I got to concede that. Yeah. But hey, you know, we didn't care about defense except for Aaron Baines, who's not that much better defensively than Rashawn Holmes. Like, can we be honest? Uh, Sarich <laughs> didn't improve our defense. Cam Johnson didn't improve our defense. Mm-hmm. Ty Jerome didn't improve our defense. Mm-hmm. What's one more? Let's yeah. score a lot of points. I'm I'm cool with it. I think, it, like <laughs> I talked about in the last podcast, it's impossible to fix everything in one offseason. You can get slightly better at certain things, but if you can drastically improve the offense, and uh, over time, I think you can start to fix the defense once the team has a clearer vision on what they're doing and, and how they're playing. Um, I, you know, I'm into it. I'm into it. I will say, though, my first pick at number five uh, is a defensive player. <laughs> He's not quite an offensive player. And that is Al Farouk Aminu. First off, do you have Aminu on your list? Not in my top five, but I would be totally cool with Aminu coming to Phoenix. Yeah, so big thing about Aminu. When we put this team together, the way that this team is shaping up right now, uh, not a lot of defense. There's just not a lot of guys who are excellent defenders. Basically, we talked about it in the last podcast. We're kind of relying on Mikhail Bridges and then potentially Aaron Baines to come in and be a good defender off the bench. That's a lot of work for two guys to carry the defense of an entire team. So as we put the players together, as we put the pieces together in the draft, it became clear to me that we needed uh, a defensive player in that starting lineup, assuming that we're capable of moving Dario Saric to the bench, which I am okay with, as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. I'm not guaranteeing Dario Saric a starting role. I'm not sure that he's a starting caliber power forward at this point, at least not on a good team. That's not to say that I don't think Dario Saric can be a starting caliber power forward at some point in his career. He shot 38% with the Minnesota Timberwolves after the trade, and that's pretty damn good. But I will say about Al Farouk Aminu, he shot 41% from the left corner. He shot 37.5% from the right corner. That's excellent shooting percentages from the corner from a power forward position. Now, we would need him to play power forward. He's 6'9", 220 pounds. He still has a higher rebound percentage than a 7-foot dragon bender. <laughs> he rebounds more than Dragon Bender. He's an excellent defender. Part of the reason he's a good defender, another part of the reason he is a good uh, rebounder is he has a 7-2 wingspan. So although he is six foot nine, he has long arms. He's switchable on defense. We talked about him, Sam. Actually, you talked about him in your uh, videos about power forward free agents. We should probably repost that some point, actually, since it's been a while <laughs> since we talked about that. And now's yeah. a good time um, to talk about that I, one. I remember... I remember making that video because of how frustrated I was at the Suns getting out-rebounded by 10 rebounds every night. Yeah. Totally jumped the gun. I think we posted that in, like, January. (laughs) (laughs) One of our our first YouTube videos. Yeah, I like Aminu a lot. 
Um, and he's the Houston Rockets, James Harden, you know, type of yeah. system player. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Mikhail Bridges or Kelly Oubre uh, at small forward and then Amino at power forward is exactly the same. Actually, I, we could just go out and say Kelly Oubre plus Mikhail Bridges plus Al Farouk Aminu as like your tweener rotation yeah. is pretty damn similar to Trevor Rees at PJ Tucker, uh, Luke Bamute yeah. that Houston was rolling out in the Western Conference Finals. The only difference between those teams, one, you know, James Harden is an MVP caliber player and we're not sure that Devin Booker is that player yet. But Houston also had uh, Chris Paul uh, next to James Harden in the backcourt, a supremely creative mm-hmm. uh, offensive mind. And, uh, you know, so far, Devin Booker doesn't have that. Yeah. Uh, here's a stat for you that you like, Sam. Vorp, <laughs> value over replacement player. Uh, last year, Al Farouk Amino was a 1.7. That would actually lead the Suns for what the Suns did last year. So, you know, obviously he's not a better player than Devin Booker. We're not going to say that. But I think the value that a player like Al Farouk Amino brings is pretty massive. It's just they fill all kinds of holes that players don't want to do. Players don't want to stand in the corner and just shoot threes. Players don't want to defend the best player on the other team. They don't want to take that on. Especially players like uh, Devin Booker or D'Angelo Russell or even Andre <laughs> Ayton. You know, like these guys don't want that. They want other guys to hey, be able to do that. Was was or was not Ayton's... I don't know if that's a sentence. Was, <laughs> was Ayton's best performance... Yeah. Against Giannis, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Did he rise to the occasion? Yes. Yes. But I understand what you're saying. If Aminu was on the team, would he guard Giannis? Yeah. Yeah, he would. He would. would. And it wouldn't be such a bad thing to allow, uh, you know, DeAndre. Of course, there would be possessions that DeAndre Ayton, and maybe DeAndre Ayton will develop in the point where it it must be DeAndre Ayton that takes on that role at some point. But at this point, for guys like Devin Booker, uh, Al Farouk Aminu is a really good fit because he can take the the, the dirty work that you don't really want to do. And he's not, you know, like you said, this team is suffering right now from creation. There's not a lot of creation. We're basically going to rely heavily on Devin Booker, assuming we don't get another player in free agency to create their own shot. Hopefully that can be something that DeAndre Ayton, of course, develops. But it's you gotta get you gotta get it to him for him to create. So you need guards to do that as well. So Alfredo does not do that, but he does fill a hole at power forward um, on a team that only has one on the roster right now. And I think he would be a good fit for this team. And uh, I don't know what he. Here's the thing: I, I will say I am very bad at, at guessing what this is going to be as far <laughs> as the market because. There's so many teams with cap space and there's so many teams that are looking for stars and most of those stars are going to go to the the Nets, it sounds like. (laughs) So I assume (laughs) that there's going to be a lot of money out there and available for other players. So do I know what Al Farouk Aminu is going to get? No, he made less than $10 million every year of his career so far. I would imagine he'll be getting closer to $10 million in his future contract. Maybe he'd be willing to sh- sign a shorter deal. Um, I, I'm not sure. Do you have any thoughts on what you think Al Farouk Amino could get in free agency? Yeah, I'm pretty bad at this, too. I was going to guess hard. like 12. Yeah, I would say 10, 11, or guess, 12. Yeah, I was going to guess he's looking for a three-year 12 per year. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's a fair one. Um, so that would be a good fit for me. That's my number five. Sounds like you're on board, although he didn't make your list. What is your number four, Sam? My number four is the guy that I would ideally pair with Jeremy Lamb. Oh. Uh, and that's that's Ricky Rubio. Okay, um, that's my number covered. four, too. Oh, okay, great. <laughs> so we could save a little bit of time rather than talk for two hours about free agency. <laughs> um, do you, uh, well, should, should I still go first? Yeah, go ahead. Talk about him. 
Okay, so here's the thing. The Suns did one thing. Even if you're as pessimistic as some people claim that I am <laughs> about what the Suns did during the draft, uh, which I'm really not, y- you have to admit that the Suns improved their shooting. And they improved their shooting to the point where we have a roster that the only unknown is DeAndre Ayton. You know, we assume he's going to start shooting threes. We don't know what percentage he's going to shoot them at. But if you assume that Kelly Oubre, Mikhail Bridges, Devin Booker, Tyler Johnson, uh, Dario Saric, Aaron Baines, Cam Johnson, Ty Jerome, all these guys are probably like 34% three-point shooters or better. Suddenly, Ricky Rubio, the guy who's good at literally everything except shooting, starts to make a lot more sense. Right. Uh, you know, and, and I get that he's not Malcolm Brogdon and I get that he's not D'Angelo Russell and I get that he comes with a limited ceiling, but at a certain point you won 19 games. It, it just sucks. Cause this is exactly what we were saying this time last year, but you won 19 games. Sometimes you need incremental improvement, focus on becoming a 30 or 35 win team, uh, before you win 60 games. And Ricky Rubio would help the Suns do that. Um, I like that he's become a lot more of a creative offensive player, not just in terms of his passing, which is very, very good, obviously. Uh, He'd do a fantastic job job facilitating the Suns' offense. But the advantage of him over a player like, say, Patrick Beverly is just he's a more talented mid-range scorer. He's a more talented player at finishing at the rim than ever before. I mentioned in my free agent scouting breakdown video, he shot a career high 58% at the rim this season. He shot 45% for mid-range three years in a row. Uh, and he's a guy who's a proven contributor in the playoffs. I mean, he averaged a very solid 15 points, eight assists, and two steals per game uh, in the playoffs this year. Granted, it was you know five games and they were out, uh, but he's a guy who's been in the playoffs before these past two years for Utah. And I just think he would bring the perfect blend of um, defense, playmaking, and what was the other thing? Uh, just, I don't know, veteran leadership. Uh, and you can sort of ignore the fact that he's still going to be probably pretty bad at shooting. And I think an an important point of that is he won't be as expensive as probably some of the other guys on your list, definitely not some of the guys on my list. I feel like he's more gettable. And I also think that there's not a lot of teams that have massive point guard holes at this point. There's Indiana, there's Orlando, depending on how you feel about them. There's the Lakers, and then there's the Suns. So I don't think there's a massive market. There's a lot of free agents. I don't think there's a massive market for point guards. I think point guards is one of the uh, positions that most teams kind of have set going forward. Um, And then depending on how you feel, the Timberwolves supposedly want to get in the race for some point guards as well. They just have to make some moves to do it because technically they have a few on the roster right now. So we'll see what they end up doing. So assuming they don't create a lot of space, it's not a huge market for point guards. And I think Ricky Rubio can be gotten for maybe a less, maybe maybe 15 million is, it almost feels a little high for him because of his lack of shooting, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it is something gets close to that in this market. But like you said, an uh, excellent passer um, would immediately pass Ty Jerome as the best passer on our team. <laughs> He's a good defender, you know, not not a perfect defender, but I think a defender that can take the best guard on the other team for the majority of the game, and then we can put Mikhail Bridges on him to lock him down in in crunch time. Uh, good good <laughs> anticipation, of course, in the passing lane is able to get out there. Um, he's got size. He's not a small def- or a small for point sure. guard as well. He's six four, I believe. He's listed at looks pretty tall for six four. Um, and then he would be an immediate Valley boy. He looks like a Valley boy. So assuming we get to keep uh, Kelly Oubre in this scenario, I think he he'd be able to go out into town with them 
Spanish with the long hair. I think he'd do fine in Scottsdale. So I'm a big fan <laughs> of Ricky Rubio. I think he'd do relatively well on this team as well. Um, not, I will say he he actually was higher on my list. I, I bumped him down, and I'll talk about why once we get to the next pick here. Um, but that's funny that we both had him at number four. Not the perfect, <laughs> not the perfect one, but I think um, he would be a good player for the team if we did, did end up getting him. And I liked what you said about uh, every player on the team right now can kind of shoot a three. So if you put Ricky Rubio on it, it's not as big of a deal. One thing I will say about Rubio too, he doesn't quite fit exactly what he doesn't fit exactly what James Jones has been talking about and Monty Williams has been talking about for this team. They want to run a system where everyone touches the ball, the ball moves a lot, one or two dribbles each, quick decisions, moving the ball fast. Ricky Rubio can do that, but his lack he of shooting can. but his lack of shooting actually affects him a little bit negatively in that area because when you have Ricky Rubio, you almost want him to dominate the ball a little bit more than that. You almost run it, want him running pick and roll after pick and roll to see what he can get open um, on the ball. So I'm not sure that they are looking for a player like that because I think part of the problem, what made him a little less effective in the Utah offense is Utah was trying to do that as well. And I think Mike Conley is perfect for that. Mike Conley can catch and shoot. He's going to be excellent on that team. But I think the reason his numbers dipped a little bit in Utah is because of that shooting and they wanted to keep the ball moving relatively quickly. And he still can do it. He's he's definitely going to make some good decisions quickly. But if you have Ricky Rubio, you almost want him running pick and roll after pick and roll, in my opinion. Yeah, it's true. We, I, you're right. We saw him for the past two years. That's why his assist numbers dipped, uh, because they put the ball out of his hands and into the hands of other good decision makers like Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles. Uh, but that's when we finally saw, you know, maybe he just needed a push. Like, because Ricky, he's pretty old. Like, he... His past two seasons, he was, what, 29 and 30? And that little push of forcing him to make quick decisions with the ball led to, you know, he's not a great scorer, but his best two scoring seasons yet. Yeah. Uh, So maybe that's an indication that, you know, that could also be good for his game in some ways. If his shooting comes back to what it was two years ago, then really there are no flaws. Right. It's just if we assume assume he shoots like he did last season and that's the real Ricky Rubio, which I'm going to assume it is. Uh, and take anything else as like a bonus, then that would be bad. The only other thing I want to say, 15 million, definitely too high for Rubio. Yeah. If we were going to be able to trade Josh Jackson and Elliot Kobo and create about 21 million in space, then I was hoping to get Ricky for like 12 and pair him with Lamb for like nine. That's a little optimistic. It's a little optimistic on my end, to be honest. Like you might, you might just not be able to do that. Um, but yeah, if, if Ricky's asking for 15, I'm calling up Pat Bev. Uh, I'm even maybe calling up Darren Collison at that point. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, let's move on. Number three. What's your number three? Okay, this guy, by some metrics, is the greatest player of all time. <laughs> okay. I'm not kidding. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bear with me. I think I know who a group it is. Of, a group of six players. Actually, is it six? Let me count. One, two, three, four, five. Six players. These following six players have played 800 career games. They've averaged at least 13 and a half points, six rebounds, one and a half steals on a splendid 32% three point shooting. Do you want to know who those six players are? Yes. Can, can you guess? No. <laughs> Michael Jordan. Okay. LeBron James. Okay. Larry Bird. Uh huh. Scottie Pippen. Okay. Sean Marion. The king of versatility. Interesting. And the number three on my list, Thaddeus Young. All right. All right. You want to talk about Vorp? 
You want to talk about VORP? Because <laughs> you knew, I'm glad you brought up a VORP stat already. Yeah. You knew I was going to bring up a VORP stat myself, oh, yeah. though. Absolutely. Career high VORP of 3.1 for Thaddeus Young, ranked 31st in the NBA, primarily not because of his offensive impact, which I'm going to talk about that in a second, uh, but because of his defensive impact. Thaddeus Young is the glue that makes the Indiana Pacers defense run. And I don't want to completely discredit a guy like Miles Turner, who's fantastic all season long. Like, obviously, it would be a downgrade from going from Miles Turner to DeAndre Aiden at the center spot. But Thad Young has, for years and years and years, racked up steals and deflections for a power forward in a way that you wouldn't expect guys to do. He's got a good plus wingspan. Uh, He's a good communicator down there. Literally everyone in the Pacers organization says that this is a great mentor, a great guy for chemistry purposes. The fan base loves him. And yet Indiana just doesn't really have the money to keep him. And Sabonis is there lurking at power forward and is coming off a fantastic season. And Thad Young is getting older and Sabonis is getting, uh, well, I guess they're both getting older, but Sabonis is young and Thad Young is old. Mm -hmm. So they can afford to maybe wedge him into uh, Sabonis into the starting power forward spot and have Thad Young go uh, and look for other replacement cheaper options while the Suns could snatch up a player who is just really good all around. I mean, he's able, um, he's capable of shooting threes. He averages three assists per 36 on a good assist to turnover ratio. He's a guy who can operate from the elbow and be creative with the ball. Again, that's what we're emphasizing, at least as part of my list, creativity and defense and shooting a cherry on top if you can get it. Uh, he's got a rock solid offensive rebound rate of 8.7%. That's great for a power forward. He's just a guy who can do a little bit of everything. And I really think, I don't know how Dario Saric would feel about it because he'd be relegated to the backup role, but I really think Thad Young would be a great, uh, solid piece to have next to DeAndre Aiden in the front court. Thad Young was not on my top five, but he was on my honorable mentions because he's a perfect fit. I think Thad Young is the type of player that when you looked at what happened in the draft over last week, that makes even more sense now for this team because of the lack of defense uh, around this team right now. Everyone on the roster, like I said, is a negative defender except for two players, essentially. Um, that means you need to bolster that defense somehow, and Thaddeus Young is a perfect example. I think overall, he's an excellent fit next to DeAndre Ayton because of that defense, because of the three-point shooting. Not an excellent three-point shooting, but an, an above-average three-point shooter at his position, which is, I think, an important point to make. He's a power forward. He shot about 35% last year, and uh, that's relatively good. I mean, that's that's above uh, what you want at that position, essentially. And I think he can make up for a lot of defensive holes. I also think when we talk about the type of guys, of course, that we're going to bring this up a few times, or at least I am, that Monty and James Jones have been talking about, guys that can make quick decisions, guys that can score. Um, They want him to score at three levels. Not quite something Thad Young can do, but he can. He can finish, and he's not quite someone who can create for himself. And that's not what you would want him to do in that role anyway. But I think he would be, an, it's kind of for all the reasons that I like Aminu, I like Thad Young. I think that it's a perfect example of the type of guy that you can fit here. When you're talking about cap space and when you're talking about using cap space wisely, if you're not going to get a star, if you will, some of the other players that we're probably going to talk about later on in this podcast, you want a guy like Thad Young and you want a guy like Ricky Rubio. That's a good example. These two guys paired together together in our starting lineup with who, everyone else that we have would not be a bad mix of guys to get if you can make the cap space to get them and even still potentially keep Kelly Oubre. That's something that's actually possible this summer, assuming these guys aren't overpaid by other teams. I think that Thaddeus Young will be a player that 
uh, other teams will want. Like I said, I'm not even going to try yeah. to guess his market. I'll be honest. I'm not even going to try. I'm going to guess like four. I'm going to guess 14. Yeah, I could see I'm gonna that. I'm going to guess he's a li- I think he's a little more expensive than Rubio. And that's why I was going to say you're still, you could go into free agency and just sign Thad Young. And then you're rolling into uh, <laughs> the season with Tyler Johnson as your starting point guard. I don't think that's the end of the world. No. But if you can get Josh Jackson and Ellie Kobo off, I know Suns fans have been kind of making a meme out of this guy's name because like, he's the least sexy point guard we could go after. Uh, but because Thad Young costs a little bit more, I'd be looking to pair him. Maybe you go out and get Corey Joseph yeah. as your point guard. Yeah. Maybe you look at throwing an offer sheet at Tyus Jones. Um, or, you know, or just at that point, you just bring in someone to be like a little bit more of a steady backup point guard, but you're confident in Tyler Johnson. Look, Tyler Johnson, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, uh, Thad Young and DeAndre Ayton is a pretty good starting lineup. Yeah, I wouldn't be overly disappointed in that going into next season. With Thad Young, you have to, he has to buy in. That's the main thing with Thaddeus Young. He has to buy into this team. He has to believe in the vision going forward because he's an older guy. He's 30. Uh, so you you don't want, uh, everyone's afraid of an Ariza situation here and you don't want that type of situation going forward. So I think if you want Thad Young to choose the Suns because he's probably going to have a few options, you're going to probably have to sell him on the vision and th- that would likely mean including other players in this vision to potentially show that they're trying to compete. It can't just be Thaddeus Young by himself. It has to be a combination of Thad Young and Corey Joseph, like you said, or potentially Ricky Rubio, if you could make the space. That's the kind of thing that could probably sell it to him. Hey, you're not going to be the only 30-year-old on this team. Maybe we'll have another one that can help. Aaron Baines. Oh, hey, yeah, we got Aaron Baines now, the oldest guy on the team. That's the other thing, actually. Thad Young and Aaron Baines next to each other uh, on Ooh, the front court would that's be... Interesting. That's that's some uh, good protection behind whatever rookie guards we're throwing out there. Yep, yep, yep. All right, you ready for my uh, number three here? Yep, fire away. All right, this is a 6'5 player. Do you know who it is yet? <laughs> uh, wait, 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 let me think, let me think. Is it... How tall is Sadoransky? No, it's not Sadoransky, okay. <laughs> so he shot 50, 40, 90 this year. He's a restricted free agent. He's a solid second ball handler, and his name is Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. He plays yeah. for the Bucks. Now, Malcolm Brogdon, I had lower on my list. The reason I had Malcolm Brogdon lower on my list previously was because I thought there is absolutely no way that the Bucks will let him go. The Bucks are in a complex situation this year, and part of the reason is because they allowed Rich Paul to bend them over a barrel with <laughs> Eric Bledsoe. Um, they are in a position where three of their best players are now free agents. Those three players are Brooke Lopez, Malcolm Brogdon, and Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton is a very important player for the Bucks, and he's likely going to command a max salary. Whether or not you believe he is worth it is irrelevant. I actually think that he likely is in this market worth a max contract because for the Bucks, giving him a max contract could mean keeping Giannis in the future. That means that they're going to use a lot of their cap space on Chris Middleton. They will have more cap space beyond that. They're going to go likely into the luxury tax at some point. Would they be willing to do that for Malcolm Brogdon or would they be willing to do that for Brooke Lopez? That's the question. They likely can't get all three. Brooke Lopez is a very important piece to what the Bucks are building because Giannis needs space and they still need size on defense and Malcolm Brogdon can provide space, but he does not provide the size that Brooke Lopez pr- provides. So the reason I moved him up on my list to number three is I actually think he would be the best fit 
he he could potentially be number one on my list just by fit alone. He's an excellent defender. He can distribute the ball very well. A excellent assisted turnover ratio. The best shooter that we're going to talk about on this team right now, if we out of all the free agents that I can talk about, maybe Cameron Johnson can be better at some point. But Malcolm Brogdon is the best current shooter. Excellent at spot up shooting. You had a excellent list of, of point guards and what they're good at and what they're not good at. I was shocked by how good he was in isolation. I can't imagine he isolates a lot, but his isolation stats are much better than I expected. And uh, he's an excellent defender that, that, that could take the best guard on the other team. The reason I moved him up is because Woj, like Woj and Zach Lowe, who did a show earlier today, said that Malcolm Brogdon is likely going to be the player that's left out. And if the Suns end up without him, that's going to be difficult because he's a perfect fit. And I and kind of when we talk about the players that James Johnson and Monty Williams want, he is that they're basically describing Malcolm Brogdon. He can do it all. Uh, so I, I think he's a perfect fit. Is he on your list, Sam? Yes. Is he number one? <laughs> I mean, I can't, you know, spoil that. <laughs> okay, what do you think about Malcolm? Go ahead and talk about him. I mean, yeah, I, I really, well, he, you know he's at least number one or number two, right? <laughs> um, to bring up, so I just tweeted out uh, a list of synergy data on all of these available point cards. And, you know, this data isn't always great to look at. You know, I have a feeling that teams look at this for like a minute. But they don't necessarily heavily, heavily factor it into their considerations because, for instance, Malcolm Brogdon ranks in the 73rd percentile in efficiency and transition. Synergy data tracks how well you uh, score. It doesn't track how well you create for others. And at the point guard position in particular, that's really important. Ricky Rubio ranks in the 10th percentile in transition. We know that Ricky Rubio is a much, much better facilitator out in uh, open space than Malcolm Brogdon is. I broke down in my video, you know, Brogdon is not necessarily, he's not comfortable being a lead guard yet, which, you know, he maybe wouldn't have to do that next to Devin Booker either. Um, but so for him, you know, 73rd percentile in transition, that's a product of playing with the Bucks, where everyone on that roster is so good, particularly Giannis, that you are also going to get clean looks in transition. The rest of the stuff, however, I buy. He's becoming better as an isolation player. He's much better. He uses his length to finish at the rim. In fact, he's a much better finisher at the rim than D'Angelo Russell. Uh, and I think that's something that's worth noting. Uh, he's comfortable operating in the pick and roll, definitely as a secondary ball handler. And he is an elite, elite, elite spot up shooter uh, who is an adaptive defender as well. That's the other thing we have to consider here. He just played an entire season uh, playing drop coverage in Mike Budenholzer's number one ranked defense in the entire NBA. But he's got a 6'11 wingspan. You can easily have him switch onto other players in a different scheme as well. He's he's like putty. You can mold him into whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So with Malcolm Brogdon, look, I think it's a conversation of um, uh, money, obviously. Yeah. First of all, like, you know, one, one thing that's been discussed uh, in the past, for instance, is Giannis's extension is looming. So how could you maybe get the bucks to reject this offer sheet? Maybe if you offered Malcolm Brogdon 8% raises every year you know, and maxed out the number that, you you know, that have his contract uh, go up to some ridiculous amount in year four or five, uh, then maybe you could get them to back off a little bit. But at that point, you know, if you're paying Malcolm Brogdon, like, I don't know, 27 million towards the end of his contract, you really want to be doing that. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's the thing is, is, is Malcolm Brogdon is worth different things to different teams. I think he's he's an interesting player here. We talked about there's not a lot of teams that need a point guard at this point. There's the bull. The, the Bulls are another team that I didn't mention, but they just took a point guard. So I'm not sure that they'd be willing to offer Malcolm Brogdon anything. It's just what what is that limit for the Bucks and what is that limit for the Suns? This is something I tweeted about today. Twenty two million is that too, too much mm. per year for the Suns? Like no. No, I'd be totally open if the Suns could create the $22 million, which they know they can for the thousandth time today, if you get off Josh Jackson and Elliot Kobo together, or DeAnthony Melton, which I'd be more sad about. That's a perfect amount to sign Malcolm Brogdon for $22 million. And then you go out and you fill out your bench with, um, there are some candidates out there, with the room exception or even the biannual exception. Yeah. And I, that's a good, it's a good team. Like, here's the thing, because we're, we're obviously going to talk about D'Angelo Russell too is are we sure that D'Angelo Russell, even though he just made the all-star team, you know, factoring in fit, I understand the argument that D'Angelo Russell is younger and that he potentially has more room to grow. But are we sure that D'Angelo Russell is better than Malcolm Brogdon right now? Right now, no. Next year? No, 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 no. That's I'm definitely not sure of that. Malcolm Brogdon is older, though. And D'Angelo Russell has a lot more time to get better. So I have some thoughts. Let, let me save my D'Angelo Russell thoughts for just a second. Um... Let's 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 quickly say Malcolm Brogdon is kind of the perfect fit just all around. And I think we're both willing to offer him upwards of 20 million. And I think that's what it would take. Do you think that Malcolm Brogdon would want to play for the Phoenix Suns <laughs> is a question that I have. Yeah, I don't see why not. If they I mean, offer from the money. bucks. Yeah, I mean, the money matters. The money matters a lot in this in this conversation. It would be really nice to lock down the perfect backcourt partner for uh, Devin Booker for three, four, five years. Now, another question. Malcolm Brogdon has a metal plate in his foot. Yeah, Malcolm that, Brogdon, no, that's it, important. It's, it's a fear here. Do, do you think that that is a big enough deal that it would not be worth risking that amount of cap space on a player for that long of a time? Because that if that comes back to bite him, uh, that could affect him dramatically in the future. Now, he's still young, like we said, but he's not, you know, he has that in his history here. And is that enough to worry too much about giving him that level of money? Look, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. It's very concerning. But at a certain point, we, we've been talking about how bad the 2020 draft class is. We're not going to have this cap space forever because eventually the extensions are going to start coming for these young players we've been drafting. They're not coming yet because the guys yeah. we drafted a few years ago were busts up until yeah. now. Yeah. Uh, Josh Jackson and Bender and Chris and all them. But eventually you're going to have to extend Aiton and Bridges. And we already know next year is a no-go. I think you've got to try. Yeah, you got to try and take your chances with your new training staff. Uh, and, and we don't know how effective that training staff is either. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there you go. We don't even know if we have a training staff yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm still convinced that they're going to use a third party. And we're not going to actually have a training staff, but we'll see. Uh, number two, I think I'm going to say my number two first because I think I know who your top two are. Are you okay with that? I already said who my top two are, didn't I? Or oh, did no. I who did you? I don't think uh, you did. Or did never you? Never mind. <laughs> Fuck. My number two, and I don't know if I told you that I was going to include this guy, is Kelly Oubre. Oh, oh well, fuck you. <laughs> you didn't I think tell it's me. Important, I think it's important to include him as one of the potential guys because I don't think it's a guarantee. And this is the point that I wanted to bang home here. Is We just drafted Cam Johnson. Cameron Johnson. I'm not sure if I'm going to call him Cam or Cameron. I'm going to have to decide that. It's just easy to say Cam. One of my best friends is named Cam, so I'm going to call him Cam. 
We just drafted Cam Johnson. We still have Mikael Bridges. Mikael Bridges is capable of being a starter right now, in my opinion. Now, his offense has to develop. It just does. It has to develop if he's going to be as good as we expect him to be in the future. But I do believe he's the type of guy to put in the work to get better offensively and become a high-level starter in the future of his career. We also have Cam Johnson, who could potentially be a super high-level shooter coming off the bench to back him up. It is not a guarantee that we will sign Kelly Oubre. We did give up assets to get him, so it would make sense, and the, the, the front office we have now did get him. But don't forget, they accidentally traded for him. They were trying to send Kelly Oubre somewhere else, to Memphis originally, and get a guard on our team uh, instead of Kelly Oubre, and the trade was just changed at the last minute to get Kelly Oubre. I'm not overly convinced that Kelly Oubre is the number one decision for the Phoenix Suns, But I do think he is an important player for this team. I think Kelly Oubre could be gotten for less than $15 million a year. I think that what we've seen was the best stretch of his career with the Phoenix Suns. And I think that a lot of other teams would be taking a massive risk if they were to give him any more money than that. And if they do, I think they will let him go. I think it's something that they're not willing to give to him beyond that maybe a 14 or 15 million. I'm not sure they'd be willing to do that. Yes, he's a good defender, but is he a solid enough shooter for clearly the vision that they have for this team going forward? I'm not sure that he is. Um, I love Kelly Oubre. I think he brings a lot to this team. I think it's important that he wants to be here. He's my number two guy on my list. I worry that he's not a guarantee because his cap hold is money that can be used for someone else if we do get, say, maybe Malcolm Brogdon. I'm not sure Kelly Oubre and Malcolm Brogdon are two players that could play or join this team together in this offseason with the amount of cap space that we have. I don't know, but well, I hope he is because I like Kelly Oubre a lot. If you can't get the Josh Jackson trade to go through, then you can wave and stretch Tyler. You yeah. Know, and, then, and then you've got the money, but I understand your concerns about that. Like the thing... I don't really want to wave and stretch Tyler because as a bench player, he'd be really solid. It only takes one team. This is the problem with restricted free agency. It's not about his market across the NBA. It's about what his market is to every team. Now, for example, the Kings. The Kings just traded Harrison Barnes. Could the Kings offer Kelly Oubre $18 million a year to go to the Kings right now when they strike out? Yeah. Yeah. Kelly can go there. Yeah. Yeah. For $18 million, no thanks. Yeah, I you know I really like Kelly Oubre, and I but I do think that the the likelihood of him not being on the on the team at the end of free agency is higher than most Suns fans are willing to admit at this point because I think they're just writing him in as a guarantee. And I wanted to put him on this list to just demonstrate the fact that it's not a guarantee. You named all the teams with cap space, Sam. There were how many? Thirteen teams with more cap space than us. Twelve teams with more cap yeah, space. Yeah. Before we make any moves, it's twelve teams. Yeah. So let's say we make moves and lot. get up. Let's say we get to that like $22 million figure that we've been talking about. There's still going to be nine teams ahead of us. Yeah. So it's just not, it's just not a guarantee in my opinion that he's going to come here. Um, I know I'm, I'm assuming your top two are in some way, D'Angelo Russell and Malcolm Brogdon. Um, which well, no. one is <laughs> number two is going to be Tyler Dorsey. And number one was going to be Wayne Ellington. <laughs> uh, yeah. Number two, number two is D'Angelo Russell. Number two is D'Angelo Russell. Okay, so number one is Malcolm Brogdon. We also we already talked about Malcolm Brogdon. Let me just make one point on D'Angelo Russell real quick. Here are the top point guards under the age of 25 years old. D'Angelo Russell, De'Aaron Fox, Ben Simmons, Trey Young. Can you think of any others that should be on that list? Can you repeat the... 
yeah. names. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> sure. Sure. Top point guards under 25. D'Angelo 25. Russell under 25. D'Angelo Russell, De'Aaron Fox, Ben Simmons, and Trey Young. Are there any guys that I forgot about? No. Yeah. No. There is a chance to me. D'Angelo Russell is my number one player, I should say. There is a chance to me that D'Angelo Russell is the best point guard in the NBA at some point in his next contract. I think that's actually possible. Now, thinking about this ahead of time, I did not have D'Angelo Russell as my number one player. You and I talked previously. I actually preferred Malcolm Brogdon in the past to D'Angelo Russell. I think D'Angelo Russell is going to be more available than Malcolm Brogdon. That affects my rankings here. I also think that the idea that a player that could potentially be the best point guard in the NBA at some point in his career, becoming available in free agency is something that never, ever, ever happens. It just does not happen. The the confluence of events that it took to create a D'Angelo Russell available in free agency to other teams, and we're assuming this happens. Kyrie Irving is, of course, uh, probably going to the Nets. That's what everyone's saying at this point. We're assuming this happens. It took Nick Young cheating on a famous pop star oh, named Iggy, Iggy Azalea and Magic Johnson thinking that is a bad enough thing to trade him to another team. And then that team completely unlikely making the playoffs with a bunch of cast offs in the Brooklyn Nets and then creating two max slots to potentially sign two of the best players in the NBA. This type of thing does not happen often. And I think for that reason alone, I would rank D'Angelo Russell my number one uh, free agency target here because it's just so unlikely that this happens. And I think it's a danger. It's it's a risk to sign D'Angelo Russell. But the idea that you can get a top point guard under the age of 25 on this roster at our biggest position of need is too tantalizing to me. So I had to list him as my number one. What do you think of D'Angelo Russell? I love him, obviously, as a player. Well, yeah, I really, really like him for all sorts of reasons. You know, I was saying before he doesn't finish well at the rim compared to Brogdon, but that doesn't take away from the fact that compared to Malcolm Brogdon, he is worlds and worlds uh, better in terms of just his creativity. And again, that's the theme of the night, isn't it? We want creativity. We want players who are amazing layup makers and floater makers like D'Angelo Russell. The penetration that a backcourt of him and Booker provides, um, it's, it's something that's really, really tantalizing. With me, I did some research about money because it comes down to money. You know, it's if you can yeah. get Malcolm Brogdon for $21 million, let's say, something like that. And he's probably overpaid by about, you know, five or six million compared to his real value. That's the price you pay in restricted free agency. Uh, but D'Angelo Russell paying him $27 million, maybe close to $10 million more than he's worth uh, as his true value. So what I did is over the past five seasons, well, okay, I'll start by saying this. D'Angelo Russell would be making $27 million. Devin Booker would be making $27 million. They'd actually be both both be making a little bit more than that, like 27.2. And the mm-hmm. salary cap next season is at $109 million. So those two players alone would take up 50% of the Suns' salary cap. Neither D'Angelo Russell or Devin Booker made an all-NBA team this year, which is to say neither of them were considered uh, you know, top 15 players in the league. We're confident that they're all-star caliber players. We're not confident that either one can be an amazing all-NBA, you know, generational talent. We're just not confident of that yet. Over the past five seasons now, this is where the research kicks in. There are 18 teams that have locked up 50% of their salary cap or more into just two players. 
where neither of those two players made an all-NBA team? What are the results of team-building scenarios in which uh, you just forfeit so much of your cap to only two players and neither of those players ends up reaching that ceiling uh, that you just desperately want them to reach? Here are the results. Those 18 teams, they want to combine 638 wins, 838 losses for a winning percentage of 43%. Of those 18 teams, six of them went above 500. Of those 18 teams, two of them won 50 or more games. Those two teams are the 2018 Celtics and the 2015 Bulls. Hmm. The fear with D'Angelo Russell isn't, you know, the ceiling in which he could potentially become the best player, uh, or sorry, the best point guard in the NBA. The fear is that other scenario that you cap yourself out. You have to start a rebuild all over again after a few years. Once you've realized you've hit the Portland ceiling, the Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum ceiling that you're just never going to quite get past because you locked up too much of your cap and two players who are good, but not great. No, I can see that. Just a couple things on Russell though. Russell's an excellent, he's not an excellent finisher around the rim. He's an excellent uh, guy that can hit floaters, just like you said. He would be immediately the second best creator of a shot, maybe close to the best um, from Devin Booker uh, right when he joins the team. He shoots a lot of three-point shots, as we talked about, something that they clearly want this team to do, which would help this team out a lot. And, you know, his creativity in passing is important as well. The idea that both Devin Booker and D'Angelo Russell essentially could average seven assists or have averaged seven assists is something that's miraculous. It's something that does not happen often that you could have a backcourt with two guys that are that creative of passers on a team. I think they actually fit together really well. And I think it's important to point out one of the reasons you can do what you're saying, which is dedicate that amount of the cap space to the backcourt only is because you have potentially one of the best big men in the NBA on a rookie contract, somebody who's going to massively outperform their contract by the end of that contract, somebody that could potentially be the best center in the NBA as soon as Embiid stops playing games because he's injured. It's very (laughs) possible for us to dedicate that amount of money. Now, in a normal scenario, does it make sense to do that? No. When you have a potentially generational center, hopefully, right, that's what we want him to be, locked up under a rookie contract, then yes, it's something that you need to consider. And I think it's important to say, These guys are making maxes, but they're making maxes in their first contract after their rookie deal. Not all maxes are equal. Some maxes can pay 35, 40. Look at John Wall's contract. This is not John Wall's contract. You're locking these guys up on their initial max contract that could potentially span the most important years of their career at a very young age. It just makes a lot of sense to look at a guy like D'Angelo Russell at this point. And I think if Gambo's right, and he usually is to his credit, it's really unfortunate that we're not even considering it. The only thing that would make me feel better about that is if we potentially get Malcolm Brogdon on this team, who makes a yep. lot of sense on this team. And I just think if we miss out on D'Angelo Russell, this could potentially be a grave mistake for the Phoenix Suns, and I really hope that they don't do it. At some point, when D'Angelo Russell is the best point guard in the NBA, assuming De'Aaron Fox doesn't immediately learn how to shoot, because De'Aaron Fox is the guy that can threaten that. I just don't believe in Ben Simmons. Trey Young is potentially there too. It's just his defensive potential is a lot worse than D'Angelo Russell's, if he ends up being the best, or even the third best point guard in the NBA, the fact that we had a chance to pair him with his best friend in Devin Booker and we didn't do it is going to come back to bite us in the ass. I guarantee it. 
and I really hope that they actually take a serious look at him at this point. And the theories about potentially trying to squash any ideas of tampering are actually true, because maybe that's the case. Maybe they're just feeding fake information to not reveal their plans, their grand plans in free agency. This free agency is very important. We've seen what J- James Jones does. He's very confident. This is one thing I want to say about James Jones. Taking Cam Johnson at 11 is a really confident thing to do. It took balls to do. He clearly believes in whatever vision they're planning for this team in the future. And this free agency is going to be very important for them. So I hope they're really taking a serious look at D'Angelo Russell because I'll be honest, when I started making this list, I didn't have him as my number one. Oh, I had uh, yeah. Malcolm Brogdon as my number one. It's I've just gone, as I went I, down, I did. I've gone back and forth on it a million times myself. Like I could tomorrow, by the time people are listening to this, have changed <laughs> my number one yeah. and number two. And so obviously I really want the Suns to get D'Lo. I'll reiterate that. The only other thing I'm going to ask you, can you name a team whose top three players were all defensive detriments? Um... The Phoenix Suns <laughs> in 2010, probably. Uh, That's probably you the mean best like post Sean Marion? Yeah. Yeah, post Sean Marion when it was, I guess it would be Steve Nash, Jason Amari Richardson. Amari and Jason Richardson. Um, yeah, Amari that's actually, actually not a bad example. Yeah, that's probably the best example, and that was the ceiling for that team. Um, you know, the ball bounces a few different ways. We, we've, we've covered that team extensively on this podcast. Things can go a little differently. You have to believe in the potential of D'Angelo Russell being at least a serviceable defender when the competition gets really serious. You do have to buy into that. That's one thing I will say. Do I believe that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But do I think that matters? Is that overly important in this conversation? No, I don't think it is. I think it's more important to get the best possible players on your team. As Daryl Morey put it, get as much Team USA guys as possible and then figure the rest of it out. Once you have two star players on the team, uh, maybe three with DeAndre Ayton in the future, figure everything else out after that. If you have to make moves down the line in the future, then do that in the future. But get as much good players as possible on the team as soon as possible. That's what I think. 100% agree. All right. What we do have, I wanted to do this before number one, but it got a little jumbled there at the end when you and I (laughs) kind of overlapped too much. But we should talk about our... uh, honorable mentions i had thad young um patrick beverly uh cory joseph we talked about darren collison who else do you have so pat bev's there for me too um we've covered him on our youtube channel he'd be great for three and d that's just maybe not the only reason he didn't end up in my top five is because i ended up valuing the creation of rubio more than the defense of pat bev and that's a minor thing Uh, but he's still very much up there Okay, so if we actually end up creating, say, $22 million in cap space and sign Malcolm Brogdon, then we're going to need a backup power forward. I've got two perfect, super, super realistic scenarios, and I know they're realistic because I know that Jeff Bauer and James Jones uh, and Monty Williams like players that they've encountered in the past <laughs> based on their track record already. <laughs> so the first guy is Dante Cunningham. The second guy is Jonas Drebko. Oh, okay. The Suns just oh, I need didn't eight. expect that. The Suns just need a solid stretch power forward. You want to continue with the theme of having a guy who can shoot threes, stagger minutes with Dario. Dario gets to be the starting power forward, but either Dante or Jonas can come in. They can play a solid 15 to 20 minutes. Dante shot 46% from deep last year for the Spurs, 38% from deep over the past three years. And I should mention his connection uh, is that he played under Monty already in New Orleans several years ago before he actually shot threes. Uh, so Monty may have to use him a little bit 
differently this time because he's really changed his career quite a bit in the past several seasons, uh, learning to become a stretch big. And as for Jonas, Jonas played for the Pistons when Bauer was the GM. Uh, and he was, uh, he was actually, he was traded to Boston after Bauer was gone as part of the Isaiah Thomas trade that we were also involved in where we got back like Marcus Thornton or whatever, just a fun fact. Yeah. Um, but Jarebko has shot, also shot 38% from deep over the past four seasons. Over the past four seasons, he's played for playoff teams in Golden State, Utah, and Boston. Either of these guys are instant uh, veterans to stick in the in the front court. You could easily use the room exception on them. I don't think either one would be looking for more than like a two year deal. Maybe three to four million per year would get it done, right. uh, as long as they're willing to come to a rebuilding team like Phoenix yeah. and they have the connection to our front office in the past. So if the Suns miraculously swing a Brogdon deal, I would say expect. I would almost say expect Dante Cunningham or Jonas Drebko to be the backup power forward. Like mark it down. Yeah, absolutely. And I, especially in a scenario where we keep Kelly Oubre and get either Malcolm Brogdon or D'Angelo Russell, because those scenarios are so complicated that we would be well over the cap if that were to happen. And if that were to happen, we're well over the cap. One of the only options we have is that exception. And you would need a guy that fits that 4.7 ish million or whatever it comes out to be. And those are examples that would actually do that. So I do agree with that. Do you have any thoughts? Miritich, Miritich becomes a little less uh, important with um, Dario Saric, right? I feel like yeah. they're kind of an overlapping skill set. Tobias Harris is another player. It just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Tobias seems to have a lot of options there on the East, and I have a feeling he's going to stay there, especially if the 76ers strike out in Jimmy Butler, which seems like a possibility at this point with the rumors of Houston trying to make a run at him, which I don't fully understand, but Houston's pulled off some mir- miraculous things in the past, so we'll see. Mike Scott, Jamichael Green, um, Julius mm. Randle. We didn't even talk about Julius Randle. Yeah, I think here. neither of us wants Julius Randle. Noah Vonley is still on my no. list. He's he's kind of like budget Thad Young, like yeah. six to eight million dollar version of Thad Young. Doesn't have the Thad same Younger. Thad. We nicknamed him. <laughs> that's 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 great. I really like that a lot. <laughs> Thad um, Younger. <laughs> Thad, yeah. yeah, and he's he's Thad Younger. Um, that's all I have to say about yeah. that. He's Thad yeah. Younger. <laughs> I think that's all we got. I think this is enough. We're at 88 minutes here. <laughs> we did, This is actually shorter than what was our second or third podcast that we ever did, which was an hour and 40 minutes about free agency. Honestly, I could talk about so many more players, and I think it was actually really difficult to come up with the top five. I'm glad that ours were different. I assumed there would be some overlap. Uh, I would there are, there are guys in my honorable mentions that I would not be mad at that I would still be happy with, and I think this team actually does have some good opportunities. Going through this exercise, I realized this team does have some opportunities to improve pretty drastically, even without guys like Malcolm Brogdon and D'Angelo Russell in free agency. Do you agree? Yeah, they definitely do. I mean, couple that with internal development from our young players and the Suns should be a better team next year for sure. Um, I guess just whether or not they get one of the big fish is really going to affect our ceiling going forward. That's what we're going to talk about a lot over the next couple of weeks. I, I completely agree, and if we end up being terrible next season, we can clip this out and put it in our uh, our hot takes, our cold takes segment in the future. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I got. You got anything else? Nope, that's all. Thanks for listening, guys. This was a long yes. one. Yes. Thank you, everyone, who stuck around to the end. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate, review us, do all those fun things. 
really care about D'Angelo Russell. Or so why we don't think the youngin likes you. We don't think like was he trying to like throw um, hate so he can try and slide in. To- you know what I will say, and I don't know if it was this, but I do think they like all kind of joke around on each other, and I don't know about secretly filming each other, but they do kind of like to catch each other doing dumb stuff. But usually it's just like taking a dump, taking a dump. I have pen fed, that's a fact. I have pen fed, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, PenFed's PowerCash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. PenFed Credit Union. Visit penfed.org slash powercash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.